I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms and the 34th chapter, Psalm 34. And uh, when you reach Psalm 34, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the scripture, I'd invite you to do that. If you're not able to, of course, that's just fine. Psalm 34, we're going to begin reading here in verse number 1. And the Bible says here, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, And saved him out of all his troubles. Seems like we just heard a song about that. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I want to go back and read verse 3 again as our text verse for the morning. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray together this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and I know my heart's desire, and I'm sure the desire of most of the people here is that your name would be magnified and lifted up in this place. Uh, Lord, as we consider the importance of exalting your name, I'm reminded that not only are we to exalt your name in the earth by reaching the lost and and preaching the gospel and proclaiming the truth of the word of God, but we're to exalt your name in the congregation, in the church, just like we are this morning. And Lord, my desire and my prayer is that you would be exalted in each of our hearts and lives today. May we see you for who you really are. Lord, I pray for all those who are here today who are maybe struggling in some area, maybe there's some discouragement or some kind of a trial that they're facing, I pray that our hearts, Lord, would be encouraged as we look to you. Uh, Father, if there be some among us that are not saved, they've never received Christ as their Savior, of course we pray for them, Lord, that they would come to an understanding of who you are and who we are and why we need a Savior and that Jesus is the only Savior and that today they would be born again. We'll just rejoice in all that you do in your house. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. For a lot of years, uh, I've read through the Psalms, and I've seen that word magnify, and I've just, I, I've kind of Uh, I guess glossed over it, just assuming it's kind of a a synonym, you know, for uh, exaltation or for uh, lifting up the Lord and and glorifying the Lord to to magnify the Lord. Uh, But sometime back I was reading through here and I I came to that word magnify and, and something about it just kind of stood out to me as I thought for a second, what does it mean to magnify something? Uh, we could say to, to magnify something me, it would mean to, to, to make it appear bigger, maybe we could say. In fact, uh, some of you here 
are, are wearing glasses, eyeglasses. I don't have to wear glasses, and I'm thankful for that, but some of you do. And probably, if you're reading, maybe reading glasses in order to, to clearly see the words on the page of your Bible, as you are wearing those glasses, you look at the words, and the magnification brings those words into focus, brings them into view. I think it's probably a fitting uh, description of what it means to magnify the Lord. We could probably say that to a degree that could mean that we are to bring Him into focus where He can clearly be seen. Another form of magnification, maybe uh, on a more extreme side of things, would be uh, maybe you've uh, been in a, in a lab at some point and looked through a microscope where you can observe things that are microscopic. They are too small to be observed and seen with the naked eye. And so the microscope uh, brings those things not only into, into focus, but brings them, makes them large enough that our eyes can perceive them and allows us to see and understand things which could not otherwise be observed. Could we say this morning that as we are to magnify the Lord, not only are we to exalt Him and to praise Him, but we ought to begin looking at Him and, and, and observing and seeing some things that maybe on the surface we would miss. Have you ever uh, just been going through life and seen, okay, I, I don't see what God is doing. I, I don't sense that I don't sense his hand and his presence, and, and I can't see him. But then as time goes on, you're able to look back and see, you know what, God was in that. He was working. If we magnify the Lord, could it be that we're able to observe and, and recognize things that are happening that without the magnification of the Lord, we maybe would miss? And then on the opposite end, of the spectrum of magnification. A microscope helps us to see things that are very small that we couldn't observe with our naked eye. But then you've got another piece of equipment, which is an extreme form of magnification, and that would be a telescope, which rather than helping us to observe really small things close up, helps us to observe really large things that are a long way off. And really, a telescope, what it does is it, it brings us closer to those objects so that we can see them. I mean, it doesn't physically transport us, but it's as if we're brought closer, or maybe they're brought closer to us in such a way that we can see them. So when you walk outside on a, on a clear night and you look up at the sky and you see all those stars up there that look like they're just a little speck in the sky, but we know, of course, because of technology and things, that those are much larger than just a little speck of light somewhere in the sky. In fact, most of those stars are much, much bigger than, than the earth or even our sun. But because they're so far away, they seem small. Isn't it interesting that sometimes in life, as we go through our lives, the problems and the difficulties and the trials that we face seem so big and our God can seem so small. And, and I propose to you this morning that if that's the case, maybe the answer is that we need to magnify the Lord and bring Him into focus and exalt Him and begin to observe Him to where even though the, the trials of life and the difficulties of life might be right here, 
to where they seem big when, when compared to the greatness and glory of our God, they don't seem so big anymore. Magnify the Lord with me. This psalm opens with this statement, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now the reality is that oftentimes I'm afraid that we are willing to exalt the Lord at some times and we are willing to allow his praise to be in our mouth most of the time. But how often do things come into our lives where we kind of set that aside and rather than praising the Lord, we begin to complain? Rather than exalting the Lord, we're exalting our problems or exalting ourselves. In fact, we, this word magnify that we see in verse number 3, the word appears many times in Scripture and it's usually in reference to one of two things. Either the Lord being magnified or the magnification of self against the Lord. And so here we have this, this statement that the, the psalmist here, David, is saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is a conscious decision. It's a commitment that he's making. It's, it's a vow that he is making to say, I will, I am determining in my heart by the grace of God, I will bless the Lord at all times. That means in good times and bad times, when I'm feeling good and when I'm not, the Lord is going to be exalted and His praise shall continually be in my lips. It's going to be a constant thing. Not just something I do on Sundays or Wednesdays when I'm with the church family. But continually, day by day, moment by moment, the praise of the Lord will be in my lips. Now, this theoretically sounds like a great concept. And I think most of us would amend this. We, we, we're in agreement with this truth. But when it comes to the practical application of this truth, sometimes we struggle. Because while we want to praise God at all times, and we want to exalt Him continually and, 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 and praise Him continually, the reality is that our lives are not just a consistent, steady uh, uh, you know, day by day, everything is exactly the same. Who here would be honest and admit that you have some good days and some bad days? Anyone? Amen. We all do. Some days things go really well and everything is going great. Uh, my third son, Levi, today is his ninth birthday. And he woke up in a good mood today. And uh, we went out this morning and, and uh, got donuts for breakfast for his birthday. And, and uh, as we went out, the sun was shining, you know, and we're riding down the road. He said, Dad, I sure have a lot to be thankful for, don't I? I said, yeah, you do. But I'll tell you that not every day does he say, I have a lot to be thankful for. There are some days when things don't quite go the way that he would like them to go, and, 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 and sometimes he can be very emotional, you know, one way or the other, and, and he has a tendency sometimes to complain, and I'm preaching about him, he's not in here, so don't tell him, okay? But the reality is, I, I look at that, and I see some inconsistency there, but if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I'm not real consistent in that either. There are times it's easier to praise the Lord than it is others, are there not? There are times it's easier to exalt him than others. And we say, well, how is it possible that I can do this at all times? For instance, in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, 
It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. But how can I always rejoice? When things are different, when, when things change, when circumstances change and things don't go as planned, how can I rejoice in that? Here's the key. Rejoice in the Lord, the Bible says. How can I rejoice? Because though my circumstances change, my God never changes. He is always the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James tells us that in Him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so I might wake up on a day like today where the sun's shining and everything's going well and I'm in the house of the Lord and my family's healthy and I'm rejoicing and praising the Lord and I have something that I can rejoice in. But if all of that changes tomorrow, I still have something I can rejoice in because my God has not changed. He's the same. He's the same. So how can I exalt him at all times? Well, it's by magnifying the Lord. He is the one that never changes, and he is always good. He is always good. Not sometimes, always. I was reading in Jeremiah not too long ago, and came across a verse in chapter 31, where the Lord is telling Israel about the, basically, that they were being chastened because of their uh, rebellion against the Lord and their idolatry, but he's giving them some hope and basically telling them this isn't going to last forever. Uh, there's going to come a day where you're delivered. And he begins to talk about what we know now as the millennial kingdom when Israel is, is once again restored into fellowship with their God. And, and he talks about the blessings uh, that they're going to experience. And one of the things he says, I think it's in verse 14 of Jeremiah 31, he, he says to them that he's going to satiate the souls of the priests with fatness. Now that word satiate, it means to, to fill to satisfaction. And he says, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. What a tremendous statement. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Do you want satisfaction today? Magnify the Lord and consider his goodness. In his presence, at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. So magnify the Lord. I want you to notice out of this psalm that David is talking about magnifying the Lord and he's doing so in a time of distress. Look at the heading above the psalm there before you get to verse number one. Those little words above uh, the psalm. It says, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away. And he departed. In other words, this psalm was written when David was fleeing for his life from King Saul. And his, I mean, he was despairing for his life. He thought his only hope was to go into the land of the Philistines and to go before the king Abimelech there. And, and then he got there and realized he was about to probably be put to death there. And so he, he had to pretend that he was a, a madman, that he was out of his mind in order to save his life, and things weren't going well for David. But reflectively, he's able to look back and say, you know what, even in the midst of all of this, I'm going to magnify the Lord. 
he said in verse number 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. What a testimony that is. He said in verse number 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You see, when we find ourselves in the midst of fear, trials, tribulations, and problems, the answer is always to seek the Lord and to magnify Him. When things are going well in the good times, but also in the bad times, it's that, that time where maybe it's that devastating phone call that comes in the middle of the night or the diagnosis from the doctor that wasn't what you were hoping to hear. When things in the family begin to fall apart and financially you're facing hardship and difficulty, the answer is to magnify Him and seek Him. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here we have Jehoshaphat facing a, a difficult circumstance in his life, really for the nation. Verse number 1 of Second Chronicles 20, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab <clears throat> the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, but then notice this, and set himself to seek the Lord. He feared, he set himself to seek the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah, or uh, I'm sorry, he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. So his response was, when a problem comes into my life that I don't know how to handle, the first thing I need to do is to turn to the Lord, to seek Him. How often do we find ourselves when something happens in our lives, a circumstance enters in, that the first thing we do rather than seeking the Lord is we call someone that we think is going to help. <coughs> Excuse me. We call, the, we call the doctor or we call the banker or the insurance company. When something bad happens... Who is the first person we seek? Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. Then look down, if you would, to, uh, well, let's see. Let's look down to verse number 12. Here in verse number 12, well, let's back up to verse 6, actually, first. Jehoshaphat's praying before the Lord, and he says in verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers... Art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God? 
In other words, he's, he's crying out to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, here is a problem. But Lord, aren't, aren't you God in heaven? Aren't you in control of all things here on this earth? And the answer is, of course, yes, he is. He's in control of all things. Look down at verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. Listen to this, I love this. But our eyes are upon thee. Lord, I have a problem. First of all, I have no ability to fix this. Secondly, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to try. So my eyes are on you. I'm just going to step back and watch because you're going to have to intervene here because I can't solve this problem. I can't deal with this issue. I'm going to have to leave it in your hands. You know what he did? He magnified the Lord. My eyes are upon you, not only mine, but the nation. Our eyes are upon thee. We're looking to the Lord. We're magnifying him. We're bringing him into focus, bringing him into view. In times of distress, we should magnify the Lord. But go back with me, if you would, to Psalm 34. And you'll find that not only should we magnify the Lord in times of distress, but also in times of discouragement. Now, discouragement can happen because of distress and problems and trials. But sometimes discouragement just happens. I mean, sometimes we're just going through life and everything seems, you know, there, there's no problems to speak of, nothing we can point to directly that's an area of trial or difficulty, but for whatever reason, we're just a little bit down, a little bit discouraged. We're just feeling kind of low. And I want you to notice that the answer to that is to simply magnify the Lord. Look, look at verse number 5 here in Psalm 34. It says, they looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. So these, these people who were in a time of difficulty, a time of, uh, of per, perhaps a trial, or at least a time of discouragement, the, you get the idea here, their faces were, uh, their countenance had fallen. They were discouraged. Have you ever come into the house of the Lord and just looked in someone's face and thought, boy, that person's just discouraged. You can just see it. There's hurting. There's just something there. It, it shows. It's all over their face. But notice what David says here. They looked unto him. They magnified the Lord. They brought him into focus. They drew nigh unto him to where they could see his greatness. And what happened? They're, they're, they were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. Their, their countenance changed. Their countenance lifted. Why? Because they looked to the Lord and they found help. We, we're talking about David here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. The Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. That was where he found his strength. That was where he found his encouragement. It wasn't in his circumstances changing. In other words, <clears throat> we could say it this way. If I had a financial problem 
and someone handed me a winning lottery ticket. That's the only way I'd have a winning lottery ticket because I wouldn't buy one, okay? But someone handed me a winning lottery ticket and all my financial problems were changed and, and solved. Now I could say, well, I've been encouraged by that, right? Or if I have some kind of a health issue, a medical problem, and, and I receive treatment and now I'm healed from that, I could say I'm encouraged by what's happened. Sometimes circumstances change and that brings encouragement. But the reality is that we can encourage ourselves in the Lord, in Him who never changes. And even if our circumstances don't change, we can be encouraged. We can find a, a, a lifting of the burden. Our, our, we can be lightened. Our, our faces could not be ashamed. The countenance changes. We're here in the book of Psalms. If you go forward to Psalm 73, Psalm 73 I think is probably one of the most powerful psalms, at least in, in my estimation, and just describing the kind of the, the reality of the human condition. Asaph here is writing, and it's just kind of an honest admission of some struggles in his life. In Psalm 73, in verse number 1, he makes a statement, a statement of fact that he knows to be true. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. That's his statement of fact. I know this is true, but then look at verse number 2, but. Have you ever felt that way? I know God is good, but. Why am I facing this? Why am I struggling with this? Why does this seem to happen? Why are all these problems in the world? He says, but as for me, verse 2, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was, I was about done. I was about ready to give up and to throw in the towel and to just be done with serving God. I was this close. My, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, verse 4. Their strength is firm. He goes on and he talks about how all these people who are wicked and are against the Lord and are not serving God, it seems like they're prospering in the earth. <clears throat> but then look down to verse number, uh, verse number 11. He says, And they say, How doth God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Then he says of himself, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Why is it, God, that the ungodly, that the wicked can go about their life away from you, apart from you, and it seems like they prosper and they they do well. They don't have problems. Everything just kind of seems to go their way. Now, we know that that's not true. The Bible says that the way of transgressors is hard. But sometimes it can feel that way. And meanwhile, while we look at the world and it seems like they're just kind of going on and everything's fine, we find ourselves facing difficulties and trials. And, and here Asaph just very honestly says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. In other words... What's the point of even being saved? Which is a terrible way to think, by the way. 
here, here's one thing I want you to remember. If, if you look at the, the ungodly, the wicked, the world, and it seems to you like everything's going well in their life, again, it's probably an illusion, but let's just say for a minute, for sake of argument, that it is. Everything's going well. And maybe you look at your life and you see trials and difficulties and all of that. Here's one thing I want you to remember. For you, this is as bad as it gets. For them, this is as good as it gets. We have a totally different future. And for us, we might face some light affliction, but for a season. But there is a far greater eternal weight of glory that's coming our way. And for them, they're on their way to destruction. But here he is, and he just, he's just being honest about his, I know God is good, but I've been burdened about this. And then he even says in verse number 15, if I say I will speak thus, in other words, if I, if I just tell people what I'm thinking, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Not only am I burdened about this and depressed about the situation, but the reality is I know I can't even really talk to God's people about it because they wouldn't understand or I'd cause them to stumble and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to internalize the, the pain here and the depression and whatever else. I'm just going to keep it to myself, but it's just it's too hard for me. Look at verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. This guy's in a bad place. <laughs> Looking at the world, saying they're prospering. Looking at God's people, saying we're afflicted. It's not even worth it anymore. I can't even talk to anyone about this. And he's just overcome with grief and, and, and pain. But then verse number 17 is the transitional verse in this entire chapter. I just love it. This is the way he was thinking, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. When I got in the presence of God, my perspective changed. When I brought him into focus, when I brought him into view, everything in my thinking changed. Then I began to understand the end of the unrighteous, of the ungodly. I know where they're headed. Verse number 18, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Why, I, I just, that stands out to me so much because in verse 2 he said, my steps were, uh, had well nigh slipped. But now he's saying, when I look at the wicked, when I look at the ungodly, they're the ones that are standing in slippery places. They're the ones that are about to fall. Verse 19, how are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terror? Verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. In other words, I was convicted that I even thought the way that I was thinking. Have you ever been there? You've just kind of been maybe wallowing in some self-pity and just kind of complaining to the Lord and whining about this and that. And then the Lord kind of, you get into the word of God and he begins to re remind you of some truths and some things. You say, Lord, I was so foolish. How could I think that way? How could I allow my, my mind to even dwell on those things? Verse 22, so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. It was foolish of me to think that way. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. What's he saying? 
What is my end? Not destruction, glory. But even between now and the time that I get home, I have this blessed assurance that thou wilt guide me with thy counsel. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? I mean, that's all I need, really, is to trust and know that God is able to guide me and to lead me. And he even says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. In other words, Lord, I just want to know you. I want to magnify you. I want to see you for who you are. It's an incredible, incredible psalm. In times of distress... In times of discouragement, we ought to magnify the Lord. And then quickly, if you'll go back with me to Psalm 34. I want to show you that this concept of magnifying the Lord is not just for ourselves. It's not just to encourage our own hearts to magnify Him. To set our minds and our attention on Him. But notice in verse 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Not only will I praise the Lord, not only will I exalt the Lord and continually praise him, but I want to invite you to come magnify the Lord with me. Why? Well, verse number 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Let me tell you, I've experienced something in magnifying the Lord in my life. I have experienced joy and peace and deliverance and all these things. And it's so wonderful that I want to invite you to come and join me. Magnify Him with me. You see, this idea of magnifying the Lord, it's not some personal, private thing that you do all by yourself, isolated in a corner somewhere. This is something that is to be uh, preeminent in our lives to where we're actually bringing people along, where we're setting our eyes on the Lord together. Magnify the Lord with me. I was with a couple of missionaries in uh, Eastern Europe a few years ago, and we were talking about some situations that, uh, some areas of potential danger. Uh, for them and some difficulty within their ministries and things like that. And, and I, I found it interesting, both of these missionaries were continually using a phrase as we talked. They, they would say, it's okay, brother, we just need to acknowledge the Lord. We just need to acknowledge the Lord. Oh, in this situation, well, let's just, let's just acknowledge the Lord. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. It comes from, of course, Proverbs 3, right? Uh, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on... Under thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In other words, set our eyes on him. Instead of looking at other people, instead of looking at circumstances, let's acknowledge the Lord. Let's remember that he, you know, it, it's that, that whole concept, but God. You find that in scripture, but God. Here are the, here's the situation, here's the problem, here's the difficulty, but God... And I just found myself being around these guys, just, just encouraged by the fact, hey, whatever comes our way, let's acknowledge the Lord. You know what they were essentially saying? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Well, let's just bring him into view. Let's bring him into focus. This is a corporate thing that we're to do together. And then he says in verse number 8, look at this, oh, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Uh, we, we might say it this way, come on in, the water's fine, you know. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I have found the goodness of God, and I want you to experience it as well. We ought to be not only pointing our own hearts to Him and magnifying Him, but we need to be doing so as well for others. Folks, in the world, you know what the world needs? They need God to be magnified. They need Him to be magnified. We often talk about people's needs and their, <clears throat> their need for salvation, their need to, to be forgiven of their sin, and, and certainly that is a reality, but... A lot of times people don't realize their own sin because they don't see the greatness of God. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. In other words, if we would exalt the Lord and magnify the Lord before the world, I wonder how many people would start to see their need for Him. We need to be magnifying the, the, the Lord to the lost of this world, but also even among God's people. You know, part of the reason for a church like this is that we would provoke one another to love and to good works. Hebrews 10 tells us. Considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The idea is this. We are here to build each other up. Lift one another up. I'm thankful that there have been a lot of times that the Lord has used me and enabled me to come alongside of a hurting brother or sister and kind of put my arm around them and say, hey, let's, it's, it's going to be okay. Let me pray with you. Let me, let, let me share some truth with you. That, that, you know, and he's used me to encourage people. I'm thankful for that. I'm equally thankful for those who've done that for me. We need each other, you know. I'm thankful the Christian life isn't some solo act. We just go out there on our own until we get to heaven. No. God's people need each other. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's together exalt the Lord and just see what He will do. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time in your word this morning. May you be exalted, may you be magnified in our lives, in this church, and in the world. Father, I pray for each individual soul here. I don't know the needs of the hearts. But Lord, I thank you that you know every need of every heart. Lord, I pray that your word today will take root in our lives, that it would dwell in us richly, and that you, by your spirit, would make the necessary changes in our lives. If there be some here that are discouraged, that are maybe in distress, that, that you would just help them, Lord, strengthen and encourage them. If there be someone here who's outside of Christ, they've never been saved, I pray that as the name of Christ is exalted, that they would come to understand their need for you. And Father, whatever other needs there might be, I just trust that you're able to meet those and ask that you would. Even in this invitation time, as we give a few moments for some reflection and prayer before you, would you speak to our hearts and, Lord, examine us and help us to see our need.
But mostly, Lord, would you help us to see you and your greatness. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me this morning? And as the piano plays, if the Lord has dealt with your heart in some way or another, I'd invite you to maybe come to this altar and have some prayer before Him. Get some things dealt with there or even there in your seat if you want to pray and talk to the Lord. I'd invite you to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to take the truth that's been presented and do something with it. Maybe make some decisions in your life in regard to it. And if you're here today and you're not sure that you're saved, you don't really know if you have a personal relationship with God, <clears throat> maybe you know that you don't, but you'd like to. You'd like to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven. Uh, if you'd like to come at this time, I'd invite you to do that. We'll meet you right here at the front, and we won't embarrass you, but we'd love to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved and know it. Whatever your need this morning as the piano plays, why don't you do business with God and let Him work in your life according to His will.